This is Robert Whittaker with our next podcast. This podcast is going to be on the larynx and the laryngopharynx. The larynx is often just referred to as the voice box, but it really does have rather more functions than just speech production. It has a major role in, re- in respiration and coughing and straining, as well as production of the speech. It needs to close off completely during swallowing so that food doesn't enter the respiratory tract, and yet it must have a finely balanced group of intrinsic muscles that control the actions of the vocal cords during voice production. Clinically, it's prone to infection and tumour formation, and because of its proximity to the thyroid gland, its nerve supply is liable to damage during surgery on the thyroid gland. During respiration, it needs to be open. During speech, it needs to be partially closed. And during coughing, straining and swallowing, it needs to be closed. The larynx is suspended beneath the hyoid bone by a variety of muscles and the thyrohyoid membrane. And then the hyoid bone itself is suspended from the mandible by the suprahyoid muscles and the stylohyoid ligament. Some of the muscles that are included in this list are the hyoglossus, the mylohyoid, the geniohyoid and the digastric muscles. Others, coming from further away, include the stylohyoid and the salpingopharyngeus and the palatopharyngeus. Now first let's look at the skeleton. The skeleton of the larynx is made up of various cartilages. The thyroid cartilage, for instance, is shield-like with an anterior notch, which we call the Adam's apple, and posteriorly it has horns or cornua, which are both superior and inferior. The cricoid cartilage fits into the posteroinferior aspect of the thyroid cartilage, its signet shape, and is the only complete ring of cartilage in the body. It has a small anterior arch, but a much larger posterior arch. On the top of the posterior arch are facets for the arytenoid cartilages, and then there's another facet on the lower cornua where it articulates with the thyroid cartilage. The arytenoid cartilage are triangular in shape and they sit on the top of the cricoid lamina with apical, muscular and vocal processes. These cartilage can slide not only around in a rotatory way but they can also slide up and down the slope on the cricoid. The hyoid bone is above the larynx and it is joined to the thyroid cartilage by the thyrohyoid membrane. This membrane is pierced by the internal branch of the superior laryngeal nerve and the superior laryngeal vessels. Fortunately for us, the blood supply of the larynx is really quite easy to remember. There's a superior laryngeal artery, which comes off the superior thyroid artery. There is an inferior laryngeal artery, which comes off the inferior thyroid artery, which in turn, of course, comes from the thyrocervical trunk. So the inlet to the larynx is made up of the epiglottis and two ariepiglottic folds that join the epiglottis to the arytenoid cartilages. The epiglottis itself is a single elastic cartilage. It's leaf-shaped and is covered by squamous mucous membrane so that it's tough enough when it's hit by the approaching food. Food itself is able to push the epiglottis posteriorly 
and downwards over the aditus of the larynx, but often just simply swallowing fluids, it stays upright and the fluid simply passes around the edges of it into the piriform fossa. Now a concept which is difficult to appreciate without actually having a larynx in front of you is the quadrangular membrane. These are sheets of tissue on either side that start superiorly with the ariepiglottic fold and end inferiorly as the false cords. The true vocal cords are the two upper edges of the cricothyroid membrane. This is a membrane which starts on the inside of the cricoid cartilage and passes upwards with its free edges attached anteriorly to the posterior surface of the thyroid cartilage and posteriorly to the vocal processes of the arytenoid cartilages. These two free edges are of course lined by non-keratinizing stratified squamous epithelium that give a certain toughness to the vocal cords themselves. There is no submucosa in the cords because any form of swelling or edema would immediately constrict the airways. Now the second difficult concept is that between these true vocal cords and the lower edges of the false cords there is a pocket on each side. This pocket is called the sinus or the ventricle and it has multiple mucous cells within it that lubricate the vocal cords. Far anteriorly within these ventricles there is a further little cavity which extends outwards from them and this is the saccule. So as far as mucosa is concerned we can say that there is pseudostratified ciliated columnar epithelium throughout the larynx apart from simply the cords themselves and the upper surface of the epiglottis. The lymphatic drainage of the larynx above the cords is to the upper deep cervical nodes and below the cords to the lower deep cervical nodes. The sensory nerve supply above the cords is the internal branch of the superior laryngeal nerve which is a branch of the vagus and to the mucosa perhaps of the cords themselves and below it's the recurrent laryngeal nerve from the vagus. We're going to see shortly that the motor supply for all the intrinsic muscles is the recurrent laryngeal nerve apart from the cricothyroid which is supplied by the external branch of the superior laryngeal nerve. All these nerves for muscles are coming from the nucleus ambiguous and are probably supplied via the cranial accessory nerve which is dumped onto the vagus. So let's look at the movements of the vocal cords. Tightening and slight lengthening of the cords is achieved by cricothyroid. Now the cricothyroid is a bit special as it's the only muscle on the outside of the larynx. It's supplied by the external branch of the superior laryngeal nerve and it's the only muscle which actually tightens and slightly lengthens the cords. It achieves this by rocking of the cricoid and thyroid at the joint between them. There are two terms that probably ought to be defined. As you pass through into the larynx, through the aditus, which is made up of the ariepiglottic folds at the top end of the quadrangular membrane, you are then into the vestibule. And as you look down through the false cords, we call that area the rima vestibuli. 
And then as you look further down through the true chords, we call that the orema glottidis. So we've said that tightening of the chords is caused by the cricothyroid muscles. We open the chords using the posterior cricoarotenoid muscles and we close the chords with a combination of the lateral cricoarotenoid, the oblique and transverse arotenoids. The muscle that lies alongside the actual true chord itself is called the thyroarotenoid and that will help to relax the chords. Part of this muscle does not reach to both ends of its attachment and that part is called vocalis. During swallowing, of course, it's essential that no food enters the larynx and four definite events occur. First of all, the larynx itself is pulled up under the tongue. This is achieved by all the various muscles which we've mentioned earlier. And then the cords will shut and the additus of the larynx will close. And finally, the epiglottis often flaps over the additus of the larynx as well. The recurrent laryngeal and the external laryngeal nerves are very much at risk during thyroid surgery. They both lie in near the arterial supply to the gland. For instance, the superior thyroid artery, coming off the external carotid artery, lies very near the external branch of the superior laryngeal nerve, which can easily be damaged. Damage to this nerve will incapacitate the cricothyroid muscle, and this in turn will either give some hoarseness or loss of high notes. The recurrent laryngeal nerve lies near the inferior thyroid artery, and that again can be damaged all too easily. The actual damage and effect will depend upon whether the recurrent laryngeal nerve is cut or simply damaged. If it's cut completely, the cord on the relevant side will lie with no function at all. It lies in a semi-abducted position, often referred to as the cadaveric position. Provided that the cord on the opposite side is still working, then it will be able to compensate and reach the damaged cord. But if both cords are damaged by complete transection of the recurrent laryngeal nerve on each side, then there will be complete paralysis and inability to cough or strain. However, if the nerve is simply damaged, often we get firm adduction of the cord on the relevant side. Again, if this is unilateral, it isn't so severe, but if it is bilateral, then there'll be complete closing of the cords and a very vulnerable situation. This is usually called Simon's Law, but as originally described, it's probably not entirely correct. Because of this recognised risk at the time of thyroid surgery, all patients should have the movements of their cord inspected before thyroid surgery is undertaken. Another very real clinical problem is during acute obstruction of the larynx, as for instance with a piece of meat or a child's toy, or in a very severe allergic reaction. At this time we do need rapid access to the larynx below the cords, and the fastest and most temporary is the cricothyroidotomy, where a knife followed by a small tube is stabbed through the cricothyroid membrane. A more permanent and more formal operation is a tracheostomy, where the thyroid isthmus is divided and a hole is made in the upper trachea 
over the second, third and fourth rings. A curved tracheostomy tube can then be inserted. And finally, it's perhaps worth mentioning a condition known as laryngocele, where the saccule in the ventricle becomes grossly enlarged and comes up out of the lamina of the thyroid cartilage to be a swelling in the neck. This is a natural phenomenon in great apes, but rather unusual as a clinical situation in humans. So let me just repeat the method of protecting the airways from food during swallowing. The following events occur. The cords close, the aditus of the larynx is closed by the areepiglotticus muscle, the epiglottis flaps over the aditus, and the whole larynx is pulled up under the tongue. Now the laryngopharynx lies behind the larynx. Its anterior wall is the larynx itself, and its posterior wall are the layers of the constrictor muscle. To each side lies a lamina of the thyroid cartilage and a groove that passes along either side of the epiglottis, and this is the piriform fossa. It leads straight down into the esophagus. Its blood supply and nerve supply are virtually the same as the larynx itself, except that whereas in the larynx there is a sharp cut-off in the area supplied by the superior laryngeal nerve and the recurrent laryngeal nerve, in the laryngopharynx there's rather a more crossover of the fibres. And then finally, just a word or so about the trachea. It's a fibroelastic and muscular tube which begins at the level of C6. It's held open by some 16 to 20 C-shaped hyaline rings that are all open posteriorly. The openings are spanned by the muscle trachealis. This is a smooth muscle that can contract to alter the diameter of the trachea. In quiet respiration, we want to shut down the trachea and the bronchi as much as possible to lessen the dead space. And then during activity, we need to dilate up the bronchi. The esophagus lies immediately behind the trachea and it bulges into it during swallowing. On each side, the recurrent laryngeal nerve runs up in the groove between the trachea and the esophagus. In the chest, at the level of T4 and 5, the trachea bifurcates into two main bronchi. The lining of the trachea, as with all parts of the respiratory tract, are lined with ciliated, pseudostratified columnar epithelium. The trachea receives its blood supply than the branches of the inferior thyroid artery and the bronchial arteries. Its lymphatic drainage is to the tracheobronchial nodes from the lower part of it. Further up, the lymph drains into the paratracheal and the deep cervical nodes. It receives its sensory and secretomotor fibres from the recurrent laryngeal nerves. And with that short description of the trachea, we end this podcast. Please visit our website at incidentanatomy.net where you can find the complete collection of all our podcasts. You can also subscribe, download or order any of our material. You will also find full details of our range of mobile apps.